It is Wednesday, April 20th, and this is People Every Day. Hello again, everyone. It's your host, Janine Rubenstein. Happy hump day. I don't know what it was about today. I needed a little extra caffeine to get out of the bed this morning, but I may have overdone it, you guys, because now I am so awake and so alert and so ready to catch you up on a whole lot of drama that's been heating up my newsfeed. In a huge developing story, earlier today, ASAP Rocky was detained at LAX in connection to a shooting from last November. The rapper was arrested after arriving on a private plane from Barbados, where he had been vacationing with his pregnant girlfriend, singer and mogul Rihanna. The rapper is under investigation by LAPD in connection to a November 6th shooting near Vista Del Mar and Selma Avenue. The victim, who did survive, told police that ASAP Rocky and two others approached him with a handgun on the street. The victim then stated he was shot three to four times by Rocky and believed one bullet grazed his left hand. Well, this is a developing story, and we will have more soon. Now for another star having an unwanted run-in with the law. The Flash actor Ezra Miller is facing criminal charges for the second time in less than a month. Early yesterday morning, around 1.10 a.m. Hawaiian time, police responded to a report of an alleged assault that occurred at a get-together at a private residence in Lower Puna. Officers on the scene investigating learned that Ezra Miller became irate after being asked to leave the residence and reportedly threw a chair, striking a 26-year-old female on the forehead. While the woman did have a half-inch cut, she refused medical treatment for her injury. Roughly 20 minutes later, Miller was arrested for second-degree assault after being found during a traffic stop. Miller was released around 4 a.m. pending further investigation. Now, reps for the Fantastic Beast star did not immediately respond respond to people's requests for comment. All I can say is Ezra Miller and Hawaii are not working out too well. This is the second violent outburst Miller's had in the last few weeks. I truly hope the star gets some help and isn't able to cause any more harm. Moving on to some potential happy news. Let's get into those enduring Taylor Swift engagement rumors. In an interview with Wall Street Journal magazine, English actor Joe Alwyn, who stars in Conversations with Friends, addressed engagement rumors surrounding himself and the singer, saying, If I had a pound for every time I think I've been told I've been engaged, then I'd have a lot of pound coins. When pressed further, he added, I mean, the truth is, If the answer was yes, I wouldn't say. And if the answer was no, I wouldn't say. Smart man. The two have been very private about their love lives, having been dating since 2016. And a source previously told people that Taylor, quote, is very happy in their relationship and that he is her rock. Their relationship is mature and wonderful. I guess we'll just have to wait and see if we spot an actual rock on Taylor's hand sometime soon. But one thing's for sure, good or bad, we are destined to hear all about it on her next Next album. Did Jake Gyllenhaal ever return that red scarf? And now something that everyone, and I mean everyone, seems to be talking about. The ongoing defamation trial between exes Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Depp took the stand yesterday, and the details coming out of this case, in a word, messy. 
The celebrity court battle between Johnny Depp and ex-wife Amber Heard rages on, and shocking new personal details about their failed marriage are aplenty. Depp himself took the stand for the first time yesterday and did not hold back. And here to break down the biggest revelations out of his no-holds-barred testimony is People.com Movies editor Nigel Smith. Hey, Nigel. Hello. Well, first, I would love for you to set up the current courtroom scene for me here, because I feel like the environment, the reactions, the tone, of everything plays a role in the story. It is so fascinating to watch. You are seeing Johnny Depp on stand for the first time because of the court TV video cameras in the room. And you get to see Amber Heard also reacting in real time. And it is just so interesting to see their dynamic unfold live on TV. It's something that we haven't really seen before, and it makes for a very, very fascinating view. You have Amber Heard kind of sitting there stoically, keeping the same face for much of her reaction for his very, very long testimony. And he has to say a lot about Mm -hmm. her alleged drug use, about her alleged physical abuse towards him. And she is not diverting any eye contact during all of this. She is staring straight ahead at him, sometimes taking notes, but her reactions don't change. Early in his testimony, he said his goal was the truth. And he also added, never did I myself reach the point of striking Miss Heard in any way, nor have I ever struck any woman in my life. So he then got into a lot of detail about his life, especially about the abuse he suffered as a child at the hands of his mother, Betty Sue Palmer. A lot of the background is something he has never spoken about publicly. What do you think were the biggest takeaways from day one, Nigel? So much of it was dedicated to him detailing the abuse that he says that he suffered at the hand of his mother. And how his father also suffered by sticking in the relationship and by just kind of taking it. And he obviously said all of this to set up the way that he is going to frame his relationship to Amber Heard because he was asked on the stand today, why did you stay in this relationship that you have described as as violent and very combative? And he said, because my father stayed with my mother. His sister took the stand this week and spoke about the same abuse that she says uh, she witnessed and that her herself suffered at the hand of their mother, Betty Sue Palmer, who, who passed away a few years ago. So, Nigel, how bad did these fights get, according to Depp? He alleged previously that Amber Heard threw a vodka bottle in his direction, which resulted in a injury to his finger. He actually had a doctor come on the stand on his behalf earlier in the week to testify about this. While the doctor said that he couldn't directly link it back to Amber Heard, Depp himself testified today that it was allegedly the result of an incident between the two of them where she threw something in his direction. He showed visual documentation of this injury with really, really graphic photos of this severed finger. Then he also put his hand up on the stand and displayed how this one finger was shorter than his other finger. We're now on day two of Johnny's testimony, and he gets into the drug accusation. So what have we learned so far today? Because this is where it got pretty shocking. I mean, even as it got shocking with Johnny Depp talking about Amber Heard's alleged drug use, he kept listing MDNA as something that she would partake in quite frequently. That's ecstasy, right? Ecstasy, exactly, yeah. And she really 
Kate never changed her composure or her reaction. What did he say about his drug use? He was a little more critical in describing her use, kind of saying that was recreational and that, you know, she would start these fights under the influence, so to speak. Mm. But he also talked about a Winona Ryder tattoo that he had. I think he actually changed the tattoo a little since breaking up with her, but he kind of alleged that Amber took issue with that tattoo and that Amber was very adamant that he get another tattoo on his body with uh, something in reference to her. We talked a lot about their fights and he kind of hung everything on her saying that she got quote unquote possessed around certain topics that would ignite a fight. He would talk about instances where she would allegedly strike out at him in her frustration and in her rage during arguments. But everything was pretty general. And he he kind of made a distinction between their drug use, right? When it came to his being opioids, things that, you know, would mellow him out and that he used for sleep, even though it was abuse, he would use it. Whereas she used things like ecstasy or psychedelics to kind of get her into a, a very different state, right? He said all of that and very open about his struggles with addiction and with alcoholism. But he also talked about their their shared alleged drinking habits, right? That they would also always enjoy a lot of wine together and sometimes would lead to, to arguments. Well, thank you, Nigel. I am sure we will be speaking more about this in the next couple of days. Yes, and I'm very much looking forward to Amber Heard taking the stand eventually. Later on, we dig into the horrific ongoing story surrounding Matthew Taylor Coleman, the man who killed his two children after reportedly getting wrapped up in QAnon conspiracy paranoia. The whole thing is incredibly sad and confusing, and we're going to get into everything surrounding this story after the break. But first, last night was the series finale of ABC's Black-ish. We sit down for an exclusive interview with one of the show's young stars to celebrate and say goodbye to the series. Stay with us. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. In 2014, Blackish premiered on ABC and quickly became a family staple. Now, after eight seasons and multiple Emmy and NAACP nods, the show has come to an end, airing its final episode last night. This show broke barriers for many reasons. One thing, that it showcased an all-Black main cast on primetime, and it often highlighted social issues that mirrored reality from various angles. Well, joining me now is Marcus Scrivener, who played Junior. Hi, Marcus. Welcome to the podcast. How how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling good. A bit of a bittersweet moment, but I'm glad we were able to share it with the world. I mean, everyone tuned in to that Feral episode last night, but what was it like filming it and saying goodbye in the moment? 
I think a lot of us were like, had the, we're going in with the intention of, oh, I'm not going to cry. We're good. It's just work. Like we got this. And then as soon as we got on set and we were reading the scripts and doing the scenes together, it just took a huge emotional toll on us. Because after eight years, we feel like one big family. So um, I'm thinking about Junior today. He wakes up today after whatever happened last night. I don't want to give it away for those who didn't get to tune in yet. He wakes up today. What's he doing? He wakes up and I think the realization hits him that he's grown now and that he has to forge his own path and figure out what's his next destination. And I think for him, it's it's college so far. So, um, yeah, I think that's where he, where he, where he starts. You have been on this show since you were 14, and now you are 22 years old. What has that been like for you, going from a child actor to the man you are today? It's been a a great experience. I feel so lucky and fortunate that I get to make this my career, because it started out as a hobby and a passion, as most things do. I mean, it's just bloomed into something I could have never expected. Well, last year, Mr. Anthony Anderson came on the podcast and he was hilarious. (laughs) Was it a challenge to stay in character with him and Tracy, really, when the cameras were rolling? I don't know if a lot of shows and casts would be so supportive of of the young kids on their show, but they really cultivated an environment for us to just rag on each other and make jokes and find places to be funny in each scene. It was a great learning experience. It was a lot of fun and definitely impossible to keep a straight face. Well, I have to ask it. What did you get to take from the set? Anything that wasn't nailed down. (laughs) And I took a boatload of clothes. The clothes are pretty fire. So I was like, you know what? Let me me snatch those up. Oh, Marcus. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm so excited to see everything you do next. There's so much to unpack in this next story, and it's deeply disturbing. Last August, a California surfing instructor named Matthew Taylor Coleman was arrested after being accused of killing his two young children. Authorities allege that Matthew was descending into paranoia, fueled in part by QAnon conspiracy theories. And and that's what led him to do this horrible crime. It's also come out that his wife, Abby, began researching QAnon theories with her husband. But Matthew's interest in all of this was much deeper than hers. There are now new updates to this truly heartbreaking case, and I'm going to need some help breaking it all down. So joining me now to do just that is People Crime Editor Greg Hamlin. Hey, Greg. Hey, Janine. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get right into this. Matthew, began researching QAnon theories, and it led him to completely spiral. So what were some of the things he believed? It's hard to make head or tail of of some of these beliefs because they're so off the wall and incoherent. Among other things, he believed that the Illuminati, uh, which is sort of a, a conspiracy theory revolving secret societies, had infiltrated his friends and, and his church and even his home. And Abby who was was researching some of these theories, uh, namely QAnon, with him, told investigators that her husband, you know, just kind of really went down the rabbit hole with them, that his interest was deeper than hers, and that he grew significantly more paranoid last summer before the killings. He had this outlandish theory that a species of alien, reptilian, humanoids who were masquerading as people had resolved to overthrow humanity and and that his friends were in on it and were signaling to each other via secret hand signals. He drove all the way to Mexico 
to do this horrible crime, right? Like, what did, what do we know about that? Yeah, so the family was packing for a trip, and at that point, he abruptly put his two kids, his two-year-old son and his 10-month-old daughter, um, tiny kids, into his van and drove away from their Santa Barbara home about four or five hours to, to Mexico. Abby called police out of concern. She told police that she didn't believe that the children were in any danger and that she thought, you know, Matthew would eventually return with the kids. Two days later, he took the kids to a ranch where he killed them with a spear fishing gun. He was arrested when he attempted to cross the border back into the United States. He told authorities that before the killings, he had laid in bed and claimed that he saw the pieces of his various alleged delusions and conspiracy theories being decoded like the Matrix and that he was Neo, who's Keanu Reeves' character in the famous you know, 1999 science fiction film. He said that he had visions and signs that revealed that, that his wife, Abby, had serpent DNA and was going to pass it on to his children and that he was under the impression that it was his obligation from sort of preventing the succession of serpent corrupted DNA that would spread across the world. It's, it's hard presenting it in, in a coherent manner because it's not exactly a coherent line of thought. My heart just breaks for these poor, poor children. We know that Matthew is currently being held in federal prison, but what about Abby? What's happening with her? Investigators continue to treat Abby as a victim in the case, but the affidavit does allege that she did share some of Matthew's interests in QAnon and texted him Instagram memes about satanic elite. Of course, this is a far cry from murdering two children. It's important yeah. to have that distinction. A family friend told people that Abby is, is plagued with questions now. Like, what would have Matthew told her when he got home without the kids? Was he going to get violent with her? Did he want to kill her? She has no idea. Another family friend who's known the couple for several years said that she was in danger and, and didn't even know it. And so you know, she married this man. She still loves him, but given the allegation, she fears him. And Greg, I just want to ask you, this is something that rose to the surface a few years back, this idea of QAnon and, and it bubbling on the dark web and, and all of that. It gained attention. It, it gained prominence. Um, you know, we know some people who have been aligned that have gained in, in political status and all of that. What has the effect been on that movement? It's significantly more prevalent than, than we would like to believe. This guy, Matthew Coleman, he was a, a popular surf instructor, seemed like a very normal guy. Y you never know what somebody's getting up to on their computer and some of the things that people are susceptible to believing. And, you know, America, it's a country of, you know, 360 million people. It's fair to say that a disturbingly high percentage of, of those people believe, believe some pretty off-the-wall things. And I think that that's, you know, reflected in some of our um, political discourse the last several years. Well, Greg, thank you so, so much for taking the time. Janine, thanks for having me. All right, you guys. Well, it's April 20th, my older sister Lolisa's birthday. Love you, girl. But I know today is an unofficial holiday for many of you out there, which is why I thought you'd enjoy this last story. So earlier this week, Canadian crooner Michael Buble was on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen, talking about his new album, Higher. <laughs> and yes, there's a little foreshadowing going on there. Cohen was fielding questions from a virtual audience when someone asked Buble what it's like collaborating 
collaborating with Willie Nelson on their song Crazy and if the two actually got higher together. And here's what he said. Uh, Did you smoke it up with number Willie? One, number one, I, I, it was the, the, the greatest moment of my life because he's been my hero wow. forever. And number two, God bless Willie, and I, I don't need anyone to help me get high. <laughs> you love to see someone's dreams come true, right? I mean, I couldn't think of two more mellow guys to be around for all of that, right? Well, thank you all for making it through this Wednesday with us. We'll see you back here tomorrow for more People Every Day. <laughs>